Right, let's get started. Welcome to episode 10. Episode 10. Officially now more episodes than Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. Though somewhat less profitable. So far. Yeah, we know. I think we do. So in common with Star Wars, yeah, we could uh, talk about the negative feedback about episode 9. Do we have negative feedback? Uh, no, we don't really have negative feedback, to be honest. Uh, do we have any statistics for this week? Statistics for this week are interesting. Listening figures took a bit of a hit for episode 9. Which I thought maybe that means episode nine has done badly, but really it implies that episode eight was doesn't it? Let's focus on the positive. Let's focus on the positive. So, Nick, we have our one thousandth listener. We have ticked over one thousand listeners. What's really pleasing about that is that I know exactly who the one thousandth listener is because she messaged me immediately after listening and I was able to check and see that we'd actually... I knew we were close to 1,000. Do we know this person? I know this person. You don't know this person. So our 1,000th listener is TJ Murfin. TJ Murfin, I happen to know, is an outstanding woodcarver. And if you need anything carving out of wood uh, that's neat and artistic and creative, then um, she's the person you should be uh, getting in touch with. So that's... This could almost be our first advert. Indeed. If you Google TJ Murfin woodcarver, you'll find TJ. She's an outstanding woodcarver. She's our 1,000th listener. I endorse her work. And we will get a payment for this advert in that she'll buy me a beer the next time I see her. So that's good. Uh, What about me? You won't see her. You don't know her. I just established that. Uh, So the thing about TJ is she's so far only listened to episodes one and two. So... Uh, I think she's going to stick with it. Hopefully, she'll stick with it. And in a, you know, however long it'll take her to get to episode ten, then she'll she'll hear this little shout out and advert. Hopefully, some traffic will have been driven towards her website. Why then? If you get business, TJ, I want more than a pint. Um, feedback on last week's pod: we did have some remarks about your tortoise sex impression. I I just demonstrated a sound. I kind of forgot we were being recorded. So, our head of school, Daniel Waller. Dr. Daniel Waller. Indeed. So, he was talking to me about the tortoise. The tortoise sex? Yes. But he's, he he gave reference that you... Did you know? It's a fun fact. He gave a fun fact on Jurassic Park. You know Jurassic Park. Have you seen the films? I've seen some of the films. So, you know that there is the Velociraptor. Yes. And you know that they um they communicate with each other. Which yes. Which is kind of like a click, 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 sound. Something like this, yeah. Was actually using turtle sex to make that recording. How are we still talking about turtle sex? No, we were talking about tortoise sex. Now we're talking about turtle sex. Which is completely different. Yes. They are very different animals. I understand that turtles and tortoises are different. The concept of discussing the noises that turtles and tortoises make whilst having sex is not an entirely different topic of conversation. They're both an equally odd topic of conversation to be having on a podcast about news in the Asia-Pacific. So we've done a little bit of feedback, and we've done the statistic. Is there anything else we need to say about last week's pod? It wasn't last week. Oh, that's what we need to say, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't we do a pod at the end of it? So we're 
We're not quite a whole week late, but we're about four days late with this one. Why are we four days late? We were really busy last week. Yeah, that's it. We're just busy. We have to be realistic about whether we can do this every single week. So we'll just do our best. We do our best. We still call it Critique of the Week, even though it may be more than a week. Yeah. Just because it rhymes. Uh, Critique of the last 11 days doesn't really work. Yeah, or Fortnite. Mm. Nothing rhymes with Fortnite. That's a good fact. Yeah. Yeah. Dogfight rhymes with Fortnite. No, it doesn't. Dogfight, Fortnite. No, it doesn't. (laughs) I'm leaving that in. Right. Critique of the week, which we've just accepted is not a week. It's 10 or 11 days. I guess there's only one place we could really start. We don't need to give a great deal of background information. Right, right, because people should be aware of this. Anyone who's not heard of the coronavirus... Is not listening to our pod. Well, it would be quite remarkable. If you're listening to this pod and you've not heard of the coronavirus, go and look it up quickly, especially if you're heading to China. Yes. Where do you want to begin? Should we begin with the response of China? Yeah, we can do. Yeah, so at the time of recording, we're at, what, about 1,000 cases? Yeah. Um, We're looking at 80-something dead so far. Right. Uh, so we're not quite yet at the levels we were with SARS, what, 17 years ago? So we're not quite at those levels yet, but it wouldn't be terribly surprising if we got there. Right. But one of the things that came out of the whole SARS thing was the the information coming out of China was, do we feel that there is any indication that we could be in similar circumstances? Because wasn't it the official, I mean, I mean, this could be something that I need to be corrected on, but... Wasn't it like something like 5% with the SARS thing at this period in 2002 was that that what they were, information that they were giving was only 5% of the total number of cases. So if that was the case, if we're seeing similar kinds of figures, I mean, we're talking about this as being a much larger problem than what is currently being reported. Well, that's why I think this is, this is worthy of note, I think, is China's response this time round. Because right. there was... Seemingly the usual response from the Chinese political machinery to begin with, which was cover up, don't talk about it, nothing, everything's fine, don't like there were people arrested for spreading rumours, right. which is that, that classic thing of questioning somebody in authority, in fact. Yeah. Um but fairly rapidly after that they've moved quickly to share information with the WHO and with uh, other international bodies, uh, and to take some pretty significant and drastic action. I mean, if you think about what they've done with locking, effectively locking down the city of Wuhan, which is, what, 11 million million people? people. And and a number of other cities across that province. Uh, Closing the Forbidden City is closed, uh, sections of the Great Wall are closed, uh, Disneyland in Shanghai is closed, businesses across Shanghai are closing down, and this is happening across large parts of the country. That's that's happened much, much quicker than it did with the SARS outbreak. And we know all about that. And I think the result is that we probably have a bit more faith in the information that's coming out of China. Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't disagree with you. Um, I do think, though, that it came at a remarkably unfortunate period of time, right? Given the fact that we were right on the Lunar New Year festivities. So it makes sense to obviously have made widespread closures just given the fact that we already know that 2 million people have left Wuhan, right? Yeah. So yes, okay, 11 million cities on lockdown, but 2 million people did leave. And a lot of people around the holidays leave up to a week earlier, right? So I think this was like three days or so before the holidays. So of course, you know, people were were moving. Um, but I But I do agree with you. I think that I think it's harder now than it was in 2002 to keep 
cover up, right? I just think that our information does spread, and I think this idea of covering this up would have been very, very difficult thing for the government to do. I don't disagree with you, but the I guess the reason it's interesting is because the cover up is I mean the cover up then wasn't about the central government, was it? It was it was more localized uh, right. sort of local governments in Guang Dong now, which is yeah. was the epicenter then. Covering things up to because that's sort of the default position in local government in China. And so it's not surprising that the Chinese central government has responded the way that they have done. What is notable is that the local governments in China have been able to react a bit more quickly, quite a lot more quickly than we saw with the case of SARS. Right. Yeah. And, but I also think perhaps the case of SARS has meant that, yeah, I mean, it makes more sense for local officials to be declaring it immediately anyway, I think. I think there is a strong case not to repeat those kinds of, you know, that, that kind of situation. But, um, you, you know, all, with all things being said, obviously this is spreading. Um, mm. It's it's gone over the borders of China. Well, I mean, that, I mean that's inevitable. We live in a globalized world, so uh, you know, Wuhan is. So lots of people uh, will not uh, across the world will not have heard of the city of Wuhan before. But it, I mean, yeah. it's a it's a massive, major city in China. I think it's seventh largest in terms of population. The point is, it's quite a large city that still reasonably, understandably, quite a lot of people will never have heard of until this outbreak. Right. No. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. Whilst we're on that, have you noticed that there's been a slight evolution in the way that newsreaders are pronouncing the name of the city? Because this yeah. is connected to this. So, perfectly understandably, anybody who's never learned to read Pinyin would read the pronunciation city as Wuhan. Right. But of course, that's not how it's no. pronounced, because you don't really emphasise the beginning of the W. Right. Um, but, so, when they first started talking about it, everyone was talking about Wuhan. But I noticed yesterday, BBC newsreaders had begun to say Wuhan instead of Wuhan. Yeah. I thought, that's quite interesting. But this morning, I heard an interview with Jeremy Hunt, our foreign secretary, the UK's foreign secretary, who, of course, is married to somebody from China. That he and mistook for being Japanese. He never mistook... I hate the fact that I have to defend Jeremy Hunt sometimes, but this is not true. <laughs> he didn't mistake her for being Japanese. He misspoke in a conversation. He was speaking to Wang Yi, and they were using Japanese because that's the common language. Jeremy Hunt used to live in Japan, study Japanese, and speaks Japanese quite well. Wang Yi also has lived in Japan for a number of years and is fluent in Japanese. So the language they were most comfortable in conversing in was Japanese. So he'd got the word Japan in his head and so referred to his wife as being from Japan. He didn't actually think he was married to someone from Japan. And I hate the fact that I have to defend Jeremy Hunt on that, but it's, if we're going to throw accusations at the Tories for being then we should do it on facts. There are enough of them. The point I was going to say about Jeremy Hunt... I'm oh, still talking about Jeremy Hunt. Because I haven't finished what oh, I was saying because you keep interrupting me. So, Jeremy Hunt himself this morning, despite the fact that he ought to be able to speak at least some Chinese, he pronounced it as Wuhan. And I thought, that's interesting that the BBC newsreaders have learned how to, but you haven't. Yeah, but, but then um, he doesn't care. But he doesn't care. I'm not sure this was a point that was worth making. The other thing um, I think is something interesting is coming out officially um, is this idea that they have developed a vaccine. This is perhaps where... I, I start to have big questions over the official response because to develop a vaccine on a new virus would take months, if not a year, right? We saw this in response to a number of other Ebola. That would be one example. But if a vaccine has been developed, this brings into a number of questions about knowledge of the existence of this virus somehow before its outbreak. 
had occurred. You also want to kind of mention something on this that's been kind of in some press, but not So you're hinting towards what is kind of a conspiracy theory. I would say, I think we need to be careful that we don't end up talking about stuff we know literally nothing about. Uh, so the, the word coming out is, is not that the vaccine is already created, but that they believe one can be created in fairly quick time. Right. As I understand it, that is helped because although this is a new virus, it is similar to ones we've seen before, and so it's not you're not completely starting right. from a blank page. But I mean, I just know I know so little about that. I don't think I can. No, no. I mean, neither, neither neither do I. Um, and but you were getting onto the thing about the conspiracy theory. Yeah. So there's is... been a number of conspiracy theories. Actually, one of them which I know we're going to talk about in a minute. But have you also heard about one on Bill Gates? Yeah, so like you've got this one by Bill Gates. I mean, obviously we are in the realms of conspiracies, but I do think it's important that we that we at least address some of them anyway. So Bill Gates warned in last year that a new disease could kill 30 million people in six months. Did you read this one? I haven't really read a great deal of it, no. Obviously, this is one of those occasions that when people say something and then, you know, it's all like the Nostradamus ones, right? It's all very well of reading into Nostradamus's predictions when you're using an event and you're formulating your argument around that particular event. So, I mean, I do think, and you, obviously he never stated it clearly that he would be here, but this is one of the pandemics of which that he said... So the claim is about the coronavirus has been patented. Yes, in the United States. In the United States. It's not true. Right. No, that one's not true. But the Bill Gates making the prediction is, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up, is this idea of the way in which that news gets spread, misinformation gets spread. Because he didn't specify that it's this disease. He didn't specify that it will happen in China. He's just talking about a pandemic will occur in the next, what he said, three years, right? right? Um, but will kill this number of people. Now, this is where I want to go into this thing about treading carefully with particular kinds of news sources, particularly about this virus. Also, the origins of this virus, I think we also need to tread with particular cautions. This idea, it's gone from Matt back being sold in a fish market in Wuhan and has somehow then transmitted to people. Is, which is one particular story about how this began. But then there's also this story, which we were going to talk about, on that this is, has somehow occurred in a biological factory that's across the river in Wuhan. Did you want to talk a bit about well, that? Well, again, I'm not sure how much I can say about it. I mean, there is there is this... Uh, so, so this laboratory definitely exists a few miles outside of Wuhan, and it, it was ostensibly developed to do research into coronavirus and other similar sorts of viruses. And so there is this theory out there that in fact this was a secret bioweapons lab and that they've screwed up and something has got out. And that's why they suddenly... And that's the reason why the reaction in Wuhan was as rapid and strict as it was, was because the authorities knew what had happened, because they'd screwed up and let this virus out. I mean, aside from judging the response of the Chinese government. There's no and the fact that this laboratory exists, there's no evidence for no. that at all no. that we could see. No. Big I think it's a big scare story and I can see why people are rushing to link things together, but there's no evidence for it and I'm not sure that we should be No, but that was my point. My point by emphasizing on the Bill Gates things was is that 
here is something that he said in 2018, but without anything, without any specifics, somehow is now being picked up because here is a here is a new virus that is spreading. Is this the one that Bill Gates was predicting? That that is essentially taking two different right because he wasn't predicting a virus. Right, right. He, he predicted, predicted that something could something happen. would happen. Yeah. He didn't say. This so is this is the so this is the to me this is the same concept. Here we do have a facility that does store viruses uh, i mean obviously they were looking at closer look, looking more closer hmm. to sars for example at this particular yeah. facility but we don't know whether or not that there is a link between this particular facility and the spread of the virus so we do need to be careful when we are discussing this because i think you made you made the perfect point when i was talking about this bit of the vaccine right is the fact that we're going to get a lot of news stories that are talking about these particular things without really being informed yeah. um, on this. But what we can say is that, obviously, you know, people have died. This is a very significant event. This is definitely one that's going to occupy headlines for the next few weeks or even months, I would say. Well, so th- obviously that's true. It is significant and important. Um I was having a conversation with somebody the other day who understands viruses significantly better than I do, somebody with medical qualifications. And the point was made to me, uh, and again, I've, I've seen this point elsewhere, so it's, it's not unique. The point was made that all the people who've died so far have been sort of over the age of, I think, 48. And the vast majority of people who've died are in their late 60s into their 70s. And whilst I'm not dismissing the importance of those people dying, it, I mean, how many people have died from flu this year across the world? Right. I mean, I I've, I genuinely don't know the answer to that question, and it's it's just not reported. It's, it's a, it would be a significant. It'll number. be a significant number, significantly more than this, right? Right. And that's that's happened. And again, it will be the vulnerable people who are the vulnerable groups who are most likely to contract it and most yeah. likely to die from it. Yeah. So, it, it of course it matters this virus, particularly because it's it's new and we don't know that much about it. But because of the way that the news builds up, we can over the pudding a bit. There's a couple of things I want to do. One is talk about global governance, right? And the role of the World Health Organization. I thought it's... you might want to get onto the WHO. Go ahead. Um, and I know, I think this, if anything, does increase the importance of Taiwan, for example, given membership of the WHO, just given the fact that they have confirmed cases in here. And it suffered greatly due to the, the SARS virus in 2002 because so, of lack of information. Uh, not that I ever want to interrupt one of your Taiwan-related rants. But uh, it's probably important that we just clarify the, the reason why. So WHO, World Health Organization. So actually, this was a conversation I had with my students last week. We right. were talking about what it means to be a state. And, yeah. how, and of course, in some ways, it's contested. And it's all really to do with recognition of other states. And so I mean, you can get into a deep philosophical debate about which states have the right to recognize other states and why and how did they become states in the first place. And Anyway, the point being that if I asked the question, I asked the question in my class, is Taiwan a state? And uh, I got a very sensible answer which was, yes, yes, it is. And the reason it is, is because it has its own government. It has a territory. You can quite clearly point to Taiwan on a map. It has its own army. It's got its own um, It's got its own currency. It's got its own flag. It's got a national anthem. It's got all of these things which quite clearly make it a country. It's kind of difficult to really argue against that. And uh, so a perfectly sensible answer, but my retort to that is, well, it's, that's fine, but it's not really a state. And the reason it's not a state is because it doesn't have this level of recognition as a state, and it's not allowed to be a member of organized international organizations that require statehood, such as the United Nations and therefore the World Health Organization. That's important precisely because of what you are talking about. Yeah. Um, I mean, I 
I don't like you referring to it as my Taiwan rant, but it's just stating a very obvious fact. Um, no, I, I, okay, so this thing with the WHO, I mean, in 2002, obviously, this was very significant. I mean, the, because they received their information, but they receive it late. Um, and I just think that here is an, here, here, I would say, there's now a very important moment. The other kind of thing I wanted to, 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 to bring out of this story before we move on is this thing with the building of hospitals. Oh, yeah, I wanted to mention that. Yeah. Um, because there was a very interesting tweet. I don't know if you saw it from Alistair Campbell that was talking about, you know, that, that China are building these hospitals um, in, was it six weeks? Six or, days. Six days. They're building a hospital in six days. When is. When are our 40 hospitals coming yeah, from? Yeah, when man in number 10 was there. I think, I think it's quite important that we understand what the word hospital means in this particular context because. Of course, building a field hospital doesn't require the same mm. amount of attention as, say, building one that would be given any degree of permanency. Uh, the other thing about Alistair Campbell saying that is, um, whilst I admire that they're going to get this hospital built because it's one of the things that needs to be done to deal with that. that I mean, there are multiple reasons you can't build a hospital in six days in this country. Uh, planning laws, which are important. Um, health and safety which is important, workers' rights, which are important. Uh, so you could trample all over those things to get hospitals built in six days. I still don't think Boris Johnson would. Those 40 hospitals are never going to happen. No, but I think that was really... The, I think that was the point of Alistair Campbell. He was, yeah. he, was, he, was, he was making but the point that you're not building these hospitals. So you often see this. This reminds me of, completely unconnected, not completely unconnected, but very, very different. 2008, I can't remember if it was the opening ceremony or the closing ceremony. I've got a feeling it was the closing ceremony. And there was a, a particular section of the performance where they'd got like a massive uh, pyramid human pyramid um and it, and it was truly spectacular and quite remarkable and it was uh Zhang Yimou was the director right. and he gave an interview saying he could not have done that performance in the west because of human rights laws and i saw a number of people say oh see that's absolutely typical because of our human rights laws we can't do things like this good yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. human rights are more important than a nice little pretty human pyramid. And uh, yeah, it's a slightly different point about the hospital. But yeah, I'm glad we can't build hospitals in six days over no. here. Although I, of course, hope that we don't need to. Do we want to talk about the sign on the Japanese shop? <sighs> so let's mention this. Um, there was something I saw this uh, in the uh, it was in the Asahi. The I haven't seen this story in English, but there's, I guess there's no particularly good reason that it would have been printed no. in the English language press. Um, but it was a sign posted in a shop window in Japan, um, forbidding Chinese people from entering. Um, now, I, I got you to look it over because your Chinese uh, reading is better than mine, uh, because I thought it was grammatically not very well put together. Um, but there was a sentence in there saying that this, please don't misunderstand, this doesn't apply to people from Hong Kong or Taiwan. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, it's what this is, I think, is a manifestation of uh, anti-Chinese sentiment coming out with the cover story and the excuse of what's happening with yeah. the coronavirus spreading. And, of course, I need to emphasise that this was one shop in Japan that put this yeah. sign in the window and the behaviour of one irrational racist should not tarnish the name of Japan. No. But it is, I think it's a warning of the sorts of things we can see. Yeah. Uh, Anti-Chinese sentiment does bubble up in certain places in the world, not just in Japan and no. Korea, but not just there, but also uh, in the West as well. Yeah. And this sort of thing can be a cover for that. 
Yeah, uh, so I, I hope we're on guard against that sort of crap. No, I agree. Um, but I think it is quite indicative of a few things going on. I mean, North Korea have already said the border will be closed. Um, and there were discussions amongst different social media groups within South Korea equally saying that we should follow North Korea and close the border. Steve Tang from SOAS. Is it SOAS now? He's at SOAS now. He's oh. head of the China Institute, SOAS. So he, he put forward as a kind of a message on um, to be aware of anti-Chinese sentiment and that actually Asian people um, within the UK should be paid particular attention to to this. Yeah. Um, because we, we could see this. We could see a significant rise in just assumptions being made. Yeah. And this links very much, I mean, we've almost gone quite circular, linking back to that original thing that I was talking about, about how information gets spread and about fear-mongering. Something like this. I mean, you're right. The coronavirus, the coronavirus is something we need to take seriously. We need to take it seriously because we don't know what it, we don't really know what it is. We don't really know the extent to which it was spread. But there, equally, there are other viruses um, that are as deadly, if not deadly, at, at this particular time. We do have two things. But, of course, something like this makes news. It makes headlines. It generates fear. And so this idea of anybody who is East Asian could quite easily find themselves in, in difficulty. So, I, I mean, I probably really would equally share that message to just be, just be a bit cautious of the surroundings and stuff like this and so i think we've probably got time to do one more story and then our oddity yeah what um, do you want to do well you want to talk about piers morgan no i want to talk about piers morgan because i think he's a right and that's sort of the problem that i have with us talking about this uh, maybe first of all we should explain why you want to talk about piers morgan right because there was that whole thing wasn't there with uh peter phillips the queen's grandson right, right. who appeared in this ad for so a milk company a milk company in china. in china so he was i mean the whole conversation on good morning was like he was like really philip kind of like you know exploiting your royal status which i kind of i actually kind of like don't really take any kind of issue to, but clearly there was a bee in a bonnet by by Piers Morgan, who went on to say to then make an impression of an exaggerated stereotype of Chinese people. I'm not going to repeat the word. I mean, we it's the video is obviously very clearly out there for those of you who are interested. But I do think that I, I, there's a number of couple of issues that I just raised with this is just and then it largely boils down to this issue of yellow facing, right? So obviously for those who are aware, yellow facing is very similar to black facing is this idea of not it's not necessarily just a physical idea of putting on a you know, like yellowing up in the same way as blacking up. So things, you know, like Charlie Chan, Full Manchu and stuff, these would be two good cases. But it's also about developing of or exaggerating stereotypes of East Asians for whether it's for comedy or for entertainment purpose. But it's just this idea that in the mind of Piers Morgan, that that's still an accepted thing. And so, you know, there are certain levels, you know, there's certain ways of things you would say, oh, I mean, I can't do that because it's not right to do that. But there's still, there is still this huge issue. And it goes beyond Piers Morgan, right? There's still this huge issue that playing on stereotypes of East Asian peoples is an accepted form of bastardizing feature of an ethnic group. And then that's racism, isn't it? Um, I'm going to answer your question first and say, yes, categorically, that's racism. Without a shadow of a doubt. And I, uh, didn't interrupt any of your rant there because I don't disagree with you at all. I really, really don't disagree with you at all. But so the problem I have with us even talking about this is 
Piers Morgan, I mean, he only exists because we talk about him. That's a, it's, it's like Katie Hopkins. Like, the, the Don't only, talk this, but this, and this is the problem that I have. I've had this rant before with some of my students. Katie Hopkins, Piers Morgan, they only exist because we respond to their shit. And if, if we just ignored them, they would go away. I think it's so, so sad that somebody, he must be an intelligent human being. I assume he must have some modicum of intelligence. He doesn't really believe the things that he says. He's entirely vacuous. There is, he doesn't have any value. He's a polemicist, right? He he just rants and says stuff that he knows, that he knows will piss you off and cause a response so that we'll talk about it, probably not specifically us, but so that people will talk about him and things will share and then they'll share clips of online. It enhances his profile. He gets to charge more for public. It's, we are right now giving him exactly what he wants. And I hate that. He's like, what's that Doctor Who alien? The, the weeping angels, right? The weeping angels. He's like the reverse of that. You know, right. you know the thing with the weeping angels? Like, yeah, don't yeah. blink. Don't even blink. The moment you take your eyes off them, they can come and attack you. And so the thing you have to do is constantly watch them. It's like the reverse of that, that you, he, he has to be being observed at all times. And if you would just right. shut your eyes for a bit, he would actually, go away i do you know what yes i i agree with you but do you know what when someone speaks bullshit you need to call bullshit out he that needs to be called out because do you know what i i don't know i do know what the the manner in which it was said is if he didn't even think it would be an issue yes and i agree if we could talk about it without mentioning him and he would just go away then i'm for it but do you know what i want to call it out because that is just I mean, it's it's just one of those things. It's just it's consistently accepted. We should call out bullshit when somebody's talking bullshit, particularly somebody who's on a platform, somebody who's privileged, who has that that platform and an audience. And if they're talking bullshit, we should call it out. Which is why I feel genuinely conflicted, and which is why I agreed to allow us to talk about Piers Morgan on this podcast, despite the fact that it goes against almost everything I stand for to give him further oxygen. Yeah. So I agree. We have to call the bullshit out. Maybe what we should actually be doing here is calling out those people who are giving him that platform. We're not really giving him a platform here. He has that platform on ITV and we should call their bullshit out yes. because they're sort of, oh, well, you know, that's just peers. It's not really ITV. No, this is, this is you. This is ITV's flagship morning program and they're allowing a white privileged man to sit there and do racist stereotype mocking impressions of Chinese people, which I was going to say, which belong in the 1970s. They don't belong in the 1970s. They, they, should ne- they don't belong at all. And they need to be called out. So let's call their bullshit out. ITV, stop it. Yes, stop it. Piers Morgan, you're a <sighs> I might not bleep that out. Don't need to. I'm going <laughs> to. Because just in case we get sued. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't care. I don't... Piers Morgan is not listening to this podcast. There's no way he's listening to this no. podcast. And if he is, and he wants to sue us, I think I can objectively, in a court of law, demonstrate that he is, in fact, a So that's not a problem. Yeah. I would join you. You'll have to, mate. You were the one that called him it. Right. Pacific oddity. I believe, Nick, that you said you have a Pacific oddity, and this week I also have a Pacific oddity. Let's uh, let's see how we go. Mine begins with a person called Takako Ogawa. This is a story that came out. Actually, uh, the story is that, well, the event, sorry, not the story. The event happened in 2018, but it went viral this year, 2020. Okay. Um, it is about a rabbit called Coco. Coco belongs to Takako. Her 
bought a ticket for Coco the Rabbit to fly business class on a United airline. Um, so she obviously Takako also was on business class and so paid for a ticket. It would have been much better if she. The she? Actually, it's a she. It would have been much better if she'd been in economy class and the rabbit was in business class. (laughs) So the rabbit has a little bow tie um, and everything. An actual bow tie. An actual bow tie. And uh, was actually given some kind of up-class nuts and seeds. He wasn't allowed out. upper-class nuts and seeds. I I did say that, yes, I don't know how, I mean, surely that they have better nuts. I assume. better seeds, I don't know. I've never flown business class. No, I mean, you've never flown. Once I flew business class once. See, I have never flown business class. Yeah, but mine was a cheap business class, and I didn't pay for it. Honestly, I'm... See, you're like the Kate Winslet of this How am I the Kate Winslet of this? Oh, you up in there and me down in the I got upgraded once because they sold too many tickets, and they upgraded me, and it was on TAP, the Portuguese airline, and business class consisted of having an extra three inches of legroom, and they gave me metal cutlery with my dinner. That That was the entire business class experience for me because people who are business class are not going to take hostage of a plane absolutely yeah definitely so the bunny rabbit bunny no, rabbit not bunny rabbit i spent a lot of time with my kids this weekend no the rabbit the rabbit had a bow tie had a bow tie and was flying business class on united airlines and had some almonds and stuff that it was given to them yeah it was uh i was a bit, it's a bit just weird have we reached the punchline of this story no there's no real punchline they were being prepared if he had any accidents, but apparently he didn't make a mess. They actually said the airline had made preparations for the rabbit having accidents, um, which I assume is, you know, doing a poop. Right. Um, so, so the thing about this, obviously, this is kind of amusing, but I mean, I was sort of expecting another punchline to come because it's not that unusual to have, it's not that unusual to have animals on planes. I, I mean, I have a friend who regularly travels with his two chihuahuas. So he goes on the plane, and they got. That's not long haul, is it? This is going from. This is going from the state. He does fly long haul with his chihuahuas. On the actual upper deck. Yes. I thought they would have to be put in cages in the little petty thing. thing. You don't have to. I've never been on a plane when there's an animal. Maybe you should fly business class a bit more often. So I had a I had a Pacific Oddity as well. This is also a story out of Japan in uh, Kanagawa, and this was about a postman in Japan. Have you heard about? The Japanese postman this week. So uh, there was an investigation because it was alleged that he wasn't doing his job properly. And the investigation revealed that he had failed to deliver a number of items. Can you guess how many items he'd failed to deliver? Oh, this is one of those ones where it could be one or it could be a thousand. 24,000 items of mail the postman had failed to deliver. And during the investigation, he was asked why he had failed to deliver them. And his response, I will quote it. I say, I mean, this is an English translation of what okay. he said, but this is this is his response. It was too much bother to deliver them. Wow. I like this story because it challenges that stereotype of Japanese people being incredibly hardworking and diligent, because right. he seemed not to be. He went on to say, I didn't want my colleagues to think I was less capable than younger people. So you just failed to deliver stuff. You're a postman. Yeah. <laughs> Your only job is to deliver mail. Yeah. That's quite an interesting story on many levels. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. Yeah. So um, he will now go to court and he might go to jail for three years. That's a bit harsh. Well, is it? In in 24,000 items of mail, just think about the stuff you get through the mail. How many times you've ordered stuff. Yes, but it's not one person. No. No. But but the amount of stuff, and when when he's failed to deliver it, 
What we really mean there is he's stolen it. Okay. Why did it take 24,000 parcels till they figured out he's not delivering it? Good question. Question number one. Um, Why not, like, after 10? Oh, 10, 10 items. And how do they know? Obviously, clearly, the postman has one same route, right? So how do we all know that was all him? So, I mean, I assume that people report it. So most of the time, if stuff goes missing in the mail, you wouldn't necessarily report it, right? But when something very significant goes missing, you might contact the post and say, this item wasn't delivered. After a period of time and a pattern, they might identify that these things that have all gone missing should all have been delivered by one person. So maybe the investigation was, oh, a lot of stuff seems to have gone missing in this area. Should we do an investigation and figure that out? Yes, we should. Here's the explanation. It's all gone with this man. Then they've searched his home and found loads of stuff that he should have delivered. Yeah. I mean, it was like me when I used to do the paper run. Uh, well, I don't think you should confess to that. Just dump all the papers in the bin and then go home. The investigation actually refers to a thousand missing deliveries across a period of two and a half years. Um, but it appears that he's been failing to deliver stuff since 2003. So, in fact, he's only 61. So that suggests that he's been not doing his job since he was 45 on the grounds that he didn't want the younger colleagues to think that he was less capable than them. Yeah. So, so I mean, if 45, I... that's not old, is it? No, not really. I mean, and he wasn't doing his job and then he been doing this for a number of years. Well, it reminds me of some people I know. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, hopefully this pod's not too long for once. All right. Well, this has been fun. Let's do it again sometime. We just might. Nailed it.